great to have you here this morning. Great to be worshiping with you. And, uh, and we're walking through a series. We've got two weeks left here as we're in the middle of this series called um, On Guard. As you're taking a stand, going after the battle, what does it look like to fight sin? To wrestle with Jesus Christ having hope in your life and you grasping what sin is and being able to properly go after saying enough of that sin. We're able to actually experience victory over sin. And do we get that? It's so easy for us to live our daily Christian lives in this kind of a mess that we have going on this side of heaven and all the brokenness and we get used to sin and we get used to mistakes and we get used to shortcomings and we get used to choosing me over others or over God himself and we're like, that's normal. And please hear me, God has given us so much more promise than that. He is promising us hope that we can experience a victory this side of heaven. More and more and more victory as God gets all the glory. Man, are you ready to experience that victory? That's what we're talking about. And so to make sure we know what we're going after, uh, we've got this uh, one image that we've been using. We'll throw this up again. Let's make sure we know and understand it, right? We've talked a lot about uh, the sea of selfishness, this giant sea. It's kind of in the middle of us. It's, it's going on inside of us, right? And you can see on this picture, there's this giant sea and the waves and all that taking place. And, and this sea of selfishness, it's that area where I just want it to be all about me. I want it to be all about What's going on inside here? And I'm wrestling with, it's time for me to get my way, right? That's the sea of selfishness as the flesh rises up and the various waves that come up along the way. And you see that little boat up there as well. And in Romans 8, we hear the three pieces of what's inside of us, the flesh and the mind and the spirit. And so the mind and the spirit are like that little boat that's afloat on the sea of selfishness, right? And so the goal is to keep the water of selfishness out of the boat. That's the goal, right? And as our mind and spirit are floating on top of this water, man, there's things that end up pushing down on the boat. And the world presses down on the boat. And the devil presses down on the boat. There's different places and ways where the boat is dipped down. And that edge gets ever lower and lower. And all of a sudden, whoosh. In comes the sea of selfishness, and that's when we sin, right? And so this pressing down of the world and the devil, we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks, how do I battle the world? How do I battle the devil? And we're going to kind of do a, a recap today as we walk through the last piece that we looked at is how do we actually battle against this sea of selfishness, this giant area inside of me that is actually going against what the boat is really all about in this glory of God. How do we go after that and how do we battle that? And that's what we've been talking about, battling the world, the flesh, and the devil with victory to be had, right? That's what we're looking at. And so today, we're going to be diving into a passage and we're going to be looking at kind of a putting it all together plan. How do we bring all three of those pieces, battling the world, battling the devil, and battling the flesh, how do we bring that all together and make sense out of it, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 4, 
And as we get going here, just know this is a parable that Jesus was sharing out with his disciples and with the broader community. He began to share in parable form, trying to reveal a few things. And so we're going to see in the parable, you always see a story of something going on. There's a representation, and and these soils are the different hearers that we're going to see in this story. The different people that were hearing Jesus, and they had these opportunities to respond to Jesus. But more than that, he also shows enemies. Within each of them, you'll see the enemy, and we're going to be gleaning a little bit about each of those enemies, and then we'll kind of put it all together at the end, all right? So here we go as we start with Mark 4. Before we even get to point number one, all right, I just want to read the first 12 verses here to make sure we know and understand where we're going. So it says, Mark 4, verse 1, again, he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and he sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside him on on the sea, on the land. And so you got to picture this going on. Jesus is like, hey, let's rally the people together. And so others started coming and then they kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming. And as Jesus was talking, probably sitting down on a rock as he was sharing out, it got to a point where people were, there were so many of them, they couldn't see. You can imagine they're doing this as they're trying to look up over the top and Jesus is like, this isn't working. And so he walks out into the water, he wades up, probably up to about knee deep, so the boat that was right there could be floating, right? He gets over to the boat and he climbs in, and you can just imagine it, just hear it, as the waves are like, can you hear it? Just, the waves are just coming in nice and slow. Jesus gets in that boat. You can almost hear the boat as it smacks against the water. You know that sound, that You're hearing the And Jesus starts to talk to all the people that are all around him on the land. It's like this natural little amphitheater as he begins to present out from out in front of them. And he says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, put it in our terms, a farmer went out to throw some seed to the ground, right? A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no deep soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds, well, they fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like as Jesus climbs in the boat, he's like, listen, you all have gathered together and you're wanting to listen to what I have to say. Let's talk a little bit about soils and receptiveness as we begin to talk and I have some things to teach, right? And he talks about four different soils. The first one is like the path, you know, that place where you walk where the feet have tramped it down so hard that the ground itself on top is hard. And as the seed gets thrown, it just like bounces off the top and sits there. And the birds come along and they take that away. The seeds are just taken away right away. 
Well, the other is actually like this ground. It's got a little bit of soil to it, but it's a lot of rocky underneath. And as the seeds hit that, grows a little bit. I mean, it actually starts firing up right away because it didn't even get deep into the soil. So it just starts coming out. But then the sun hits it. It's got absolutely no ability to weather it and gone. That fast, it just withers away. It's scorched. And the next is actually the soil is probably pretty good. It begins to grow up and it's got thorns all around it from the on top of the soil. It just chokes it out. Nothing can grow because of that from what's on top of the soil. And then the last one is just good soil inside and out, above ground and below ground. And man, does it grow. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? That's where Jesus walked him through these four different elements and and um, you can imagine there were people there that were like, hmm, you know, that's a good point. That's a really good point. And then somebody else is like, what moron farmer threw seed on a path? Like, what's he thinking about? What is this guy talking about? What kind of story is this, right? You can imagine all the different kinds of people that were getting it, not getting it, not wanting to get it. When are we going to leave? I don't want to be here. Take me home. Why am I so, right? All of that going on as Jesus is sharing this out. What does this parable mean and what can we glean from it? All right. So let's just jump to verse 13 of chapter 4 where he begins to explain the parable and we'll walk point by point through this. So point one, uh, fight Satan who seeks to steal. Fight Satan who seeks to steal. In verse 13, Jesus said to them, do you understand this parable? Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Just so you know, those two words understand are different words. The first time he's like, do you not cognitively get what I'm saying? Then how will you experientially grasp this whole thing I'm going to be talking about? That's what he's, he brought up two different words there and he's really like, man, first you have to be able to get it before you're going to be able to experience it. And uh, he says, the sower sows the word. And so he's like, the sower begins, let me just explain to you, the seed, well, that's the words being shared. So Jesus is making it really clear to him right now. So now we're talking about somebody bringing a message. Clearly, he's talking about himself, Jesus there, or God overall as the farmer, the sower. And the word being sowed out is this message about the kingdom and the hope of Jesus Christ. And he's like, listen, there's a sower, and he sows the word. The seeds equal the word. The sower equals God. He said, and, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. He's like, let's talk a little bit about this seed along the hard path where it bounces and just sits on top. When they hear, well, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. When they hear, the word just sits on top and well, somebody comes along to steal it away. Who's stealing it? Yeah, say it louder, say it bigger. Who's stealing it? Satan. Satan. The devil is coming in. And we have to understand that in the midst of this soil that's very hard, right, the enemy being shown here is the devil. And we battle against the devil. And the devil does try to take away the truth, the word. And so as the word is shared out, Satan is always fighting against the word. It says he takes away the word that is sown in them. So this message is put in. Satan is coming to try to take it out. 
Like, we better grasp that in the midst of that soil who was very resistant, you ended up with this very dangerous moment where Satan is coming to take away the word. How does Satan take away the word? I just wrote these couple of ideas down. How does Satan take away the word? Number one, uh, he contradicts the word. He contradicts the word. He is literally going to say things like, that's not true. Come on. That can't possibly be the, think about it. Or, Or maybe he does like he did with Eve. Is God really going to kill you, take your life? Are you really going to die? Right, contradict. Complete flip. That's the lie. But Satan also twists the word. He doesn't just contradict it, he twists it, meaning he accepts part of it, but he rejects another part of it. And as he begins to twist the word, he's literally trying to get you to accept part of the premise so that he can lead you off into another me world. And as Satan begins to twist, he's deceiving. Like, that's not what it's all about. That's not how it works. Here's how it works. As he begins to try to put a half-truth into your head. He puts a whole lie or he puts a half-lie. And here's number three, where he even just goes straight at you and accuses you and shames you. See, if he can get you thinking, I'm not worthy of receiving this hope in God. I can't be forgiven. I can't walk with, like he's going to either tear you down or he's going to tear the word down or he's going to be tearing God down. He's coming in with something and he's going hard on trying to flip the word, contradict it or twist it or even go inside of you and get you to be knocked down to your knees where you feel you're just so unworthy you shouldn't even be looking at it. How does he take the word? Well, he fights back with lie. Lies to your soul that get you grasping things that just are not true about your God. That's Satan, man. That's the enemy in this first piece. And we better recognize this, man. Satan seeks to steal. And that's our first enemy, the devil. I just wrote these words down. Uh, Resistance to God's word makes us vulnerable to Satan's attack. Resistance to God's word makes us vulnerable to Satan's attack. Please know that the more we're like, nope, and the seed just bounces and sits on top, then Satan can come in, steal it away, and start twisting things up. Right? We are so vulnerable when we resist God's word. Man, are you open to God's word? Maybe you came here this morning, and you're maybe not even sure why you walked in the doors. And now is the time to be able to say, Lord, I'm ready to start getting open to your word. Teach me, God. Shape me. Lord, may I not be resistant to you. May Satan not just steal away the word. Right? So first we have to learn to fight Satan. And we're going to talk more about that in the fourth point. But just hang on for a moment. All right? Second, flee the flesh, which is resistant to the word. Flee the flesh, which is resistant to to the word. He says here, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. 
Okay, so now we're picking up this ground that's got a little bit of soil, but it's got a lot of rock underneath it, meaning there's times where it responds to God, but there's a lot of times where it's just pretty resistant as well. And so while it's not like hard on the surface where the seed just bounces off the top, there's actually a lot of hardness within. There's a lot of movement towards self within, and decisions are made towards selfishness. This rocky ground, it's only a little bit in responsiveness and These are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who hear and they hear the word and immediately they receive it with joy. Uh, How fast do they receive it? Immediately. Immediately. There's actually a responsiveness here. Like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, I see a little bit of what's going on. They receive it and there's actually some joy that comes along with it. There's an impact of grasping the truth of God's word. The problem is there's not much depth, there's not much maturity, there's a lot of selfishness that rages in this one. It says, and they have no root in themselves, but they endure endure for a little while. And have you ever felt like you're that one? Like, I get it, I'm I'm getting fired up on it, and and I get God's word, and it's bringing a little bit of joy, and never mind. Right, it's just like that fast, it starts taking it away, and He says, endure it for a little while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, how fast? They fall away. So immediately they got it, and immediately they fall away. See, this is a very, like, in the moment, very emotional responding, not very deep, hypersensitive to self kind of person. It's like, oh, that sounds great. Oh, never mind. And, and the persecution that's coming, the rage that's coming is because of the word. Man, please hear me. When we do take a stand for Christ, there will be pressure. And uh, we do have to learn to stand for him. And in the midst of this one, you actually see the problem from within. This is an inside me problem, right? You see it's the rocky ground that's going on. That's what's limiting this whole thing and causing the problem. It's what's inside. It's what's going on inside is the mind responding to the flesh all too often and just getting dragged away. In fact, maybe uh, so much so that barely responding to God at all. It says, and immediately this one falls away. And uh, again, we have a problem here and this ground is really what's going on inside the ground that's the problem. It's rocky inside the flesh, well, the flesh just seeks to resist. And this one is all amped up on flesh. Rocky ground inside and responding that way. Man, we must flee the flesh. We've got to be able to put ourselves in a spot where that weakness doesn't drag us down, right? And again, we're going to talk about that in the fourth point. We're going to bring all this together. I just want to make sure we grasp this. So we have the enemy in the first spot is Satan. And the enemy in the second spot was the flesh, right? So the enemies are Satan and the flesh. Everybody just say those two. What are the enemies? Satan and the flesh, flesh, right? And so those are the first two enemies here that we see in this story. And now he goes to the next. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. So it says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. This is where we're uh, going to point three, fence lines to avoid the world. 
which choke out the word. Fence lines to avoid the world, which choke out the word. Notice it says, these are the ones sown among thorns. Uh, They are those who hear the word, right? So there's some level of uh, understanding. They got themselves into a position. They're grasping in the moment. It says, but the cares of the world, the cares of what? The world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things, uh, they enter in and they choke the word. So now we have the thorns on top of the surface. So in the first case, the surface top was just hard. Absolute rejection, the seeds just bounce off. In the second case, there's a rockiness inside, underneath. It's limiting the growth. There's still a pro- It's an inside me problem, right? On the third one, now it's got the seed. It's actually hitting. There actually might even be a little growth, but what happens is the stuff on the outside starts choking it out. The issues of the world, the cares of the world, the desires of other things, including riches and whatever, and it chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. And, uh, and the world seeks to choke us out. The world seeks to choke, right? And so we need to learn to battle the world. What's the best way to do it? Well, get some clean fence lines and clean up the thorns, right? Get the thorns out of the garden. He's like, make sure you set up the fence lines wisely and well. May God get all the glory. So if you go back and look at these, you're seeing three different soils of responder. You're seeing three different enemies. You're seeing Satan come in and he's stealing away. You're seeing inside me problems, the rocky ground as we respond to self. And that one's all about me. It's the flesh raging, right? And so you have the devil, you have the flesh. And then the last one, well, you have this really clear moment of the world choking things out. And the word picture is like thorns in a garden as they start to grow up, they just choke and die out. And uh, whatever the world's things are that they bring in, the whatever looks good, whatever feels good, whatever shows me off stuff, begins to choke out the seed. So as we look at these first three, you can see three soils. You see three really clear enemies. And, uh, and then he comes to the fourth. But those that were sown on the good soil... Uh, what kind of soil? Right, the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. When he says good soil now, he means the surface isn't hard. There's no resistance to God's word with it just bouncing off. He means inside, it's not just rocky soil inside with no roots that gather. And it's not talking about that either. It's not this giant fleshly me oriented. It's not that. There's a high responsiveness with deep roots. And then the third one is there's also no thorns. When he says good soil, he means soft top, no rocks, no thorns, right? The other three are not true. And he says, but those were sown on the good soil, the ones who hear and they accept it and they bear fruit. There's a deep, rich root and there's a growing fruit. It says 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. He's like, man, it just gives back like you would not believe. And there's a massive joy in the midst of the fruitfulness and like that's what it needs to look like. That's God's explanation of what it all works like. And uh, as he talks through that, 
Let's just summarize up point number four. Experience great fruitfulness when you properly battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. Experience great fruitfulness. Remember I told you this understanding word that he used at the beginning. He's like, man, first you need to grasp it if you're going to get to the point where you're going to experience it. Man, we've got to know and understand. Experience is a huge deal here. He's like, I want you to get and taste and experience victory. I want you to be able to know what it is to be able to see growth in your life. Experience this. Victory over the devil and over the flesh and over the world. And uh, what a sweet opportunity to be able to have that impact. He says here, uh, make sure you grasp what it is to be growing in me. Now, it doesn't say how many of the disciples or the believers actually got it. It doesn't say how many understand what's going on. But the beauty is we were able to get not only the parable, but also the explanation. And as we can begin to grasp what God is saying, man, we can begin to put a plan in place that brings hope to our lives. So uh, let's just summarize up where we've been over the last three weeks and let's make sure we get this down, all right? If the devil is our enemy, then what's the battle plan, right? If the devil is the enemy, then what's the battle plan? So first, how do I fight Satan? How do I fight Satan? All right, here we go. The three that we said a couple weeks ago. How do I fight Satan? First, you must turn from sin. You gotta be done with it, man. There's a point where you gotta literally be able to say, Lord, please forgive me. God, I'm wrong. Lord, I'm done with this. And this is just a simple moment where you're like, it's over. I do not want this going on anymore. Lord, please forgive me. Right? It's a huge moment. And remember James chapter 4, it says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. The plan is not resist the devil and he will flee. Everybody say, not that. Right? That's you trying to be big enough that you're going to scare Satan away. That's a terrible plan. Right? Our, our plan is that we actually are going to get on our knees with our God. We are going to humble ourselves like you would not believe. Lord, I am wrong. Please forgive me. God, this needs to go. I'm done with faltering in this way. Like this sin, this week, Lord, I want it over. Please forgive me. Turn. You turn first. It begins to soften the ground. And then as we said a couple weeks back, dive into his word. Remember, Satan's trying to steal the word. Get in his word. You dive in the word and you begin to read. I would even recommend read out loud, especially in those moments where you know you're being pressed down hard by Satan. Read it out loud. What you're going to find is when you read to yourself, your mind can do like 19 things at once. You're going to be in awe of your ability to multitask. The problem is you don't do any of them all that well then. And all of a sudden, there's hyper-distraction going on, and you're on three things at once, and you're trying to fix your, the things you're going to buy at the store when you go, and whatever else, and the kids' problems, and what is God saying in this word? 
all get equal value and your mind just loses it. I'm just telling you, taking a moment where you literally read it out loud and you put it on your lips. Doesn't mean it has to be loud. Even the whisper makes you begin to focus. There's something about making our lips move that get us focusing. Man, put your mind on him and what his word has to say. Reading it, reading it even with your lips moving. God, I'm longing for you to be glorified. As you go through that, you're looking for the greatness of God. And then number three, now pray it back to him in worship. This is who you are, God. This is who my God is. I worship you, God. You are awesome. Maybe you open to this passage that you're, we're in today, and you're like, Lord, I just celebrate that you take time to give us the clarity. I celebrate that you got in a boat and spread out the word and made it clear what was going on, that you shared the truth. God, I celebrate that when there were some that wouldn't listen, you were still sharing out. I praise your name, God, for who you are. You are the God who communicates. You are the God who loves. Can you feel how worship just rises up? Man, your goal is to get your worship on. With all you've got, get it going. Sin down, word open, praying to your God with all you've got. And that's how you battle Satan, all right? How do you keep him from stealing the word away? You get in the word and you get after it with your God. After confession of sin, Lord, please forgive me, I'm wrong, right? Watch God do a huge work in you. That's how to battle Satan. How do we battle the flesh? Well, flee, right? Flee the flesh. And remember, we've talked about this over the last couple weeks. I'm telling you, the average Christian response is this. Whenever Satan comes, I should run. And whenever the flesh rages, I should try to stand and fight. I should try to hold back from that faltering. And uh, everybody say, that's a terrible plan. Right? That's not a biblical plan. It's clearly a terrible plan. When Satan starts to press in to steal the word, no. I will not move off this truth. I am anchored on this truth and I will stand for it and I will stand in God's word, right? We take a stand when Satan's pushing in. But when our flesh begins to rage and go, all right, man, this is a good me time. This is looking pretty good right now. Why don't we go for this? This big wanting starts coming from within, this big welling up. Dude, you need to get out of there. Wherever there is. And so what does it look like to flee? We just said these last time as well, last week. Uh, the three types of fleeing. Ready? Uh, shift your geography. You may need to physically leave the room or leave the place or leave the state, right? Whatever's going on, man. Get it in gear. What needs to happen? Shift your geography, right? Get out of the area where you are being tempted so much, right? Shift your geography. Here's the second one. Shift your chemistry, Shift your chemistry. We talked a lot about that last week. Remember, we, are, uh, we have a lot of chemicals raging inside of us, right? And when those are out of balance, we're in trouble. And if you're hungry, uh, the next thing that comes with it is angry. Some of you are like, oh, not me. I'm sweet and tender. Ask your spouse and uh, see if that's true. And if it is for you, great, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that that's true. But the reality is, as we tend to get hungry, we tend to get really uh, about me. And that's where that anger's rising up from, right? 
And whatever that chemical thing is that's going on, watch what's happening. Make sure you manage it, right? Make sure you know what's happening inside of you that's going on that needs to be adjusted. It might be a diet thing that needs to adjust. It might be a sleep thing. Whatever it is, make sure you get it managed. So shift your geography, shift your chemistry, shift your mindset. Like I'm just telling you, if I'm in an area where something comes up and I'm being tempted to be all over going after that, and I end up getting up and going out of the room, but the thing that I'm thinking about the whole time I'm in the other room is the thing that was in that room, I did not get away from temptation at all, right? The mindset does need to change. So shifting your geography is great. You got to get your mind off of what was so tempting and begin to put it on your God and why he's so awesome. In fact, I would recommend try to become artistic in being able to say this, what was so drawing to that and why is that saying God's not satisfying to me? Like I'm ready to find satisfaction in you, God. You start putting your mind on that, you're going to find that there's actually a lot of things to worship on and get after, and you might even start to get to the bottom of why that was so attractive to you, right? And just spend a little bit of time on shifting your mindset. Shift your geography, shift your chemistry, shift your mindset. That's how we battle the flesh, right? And so battling Satan, you turn, you dive into his word, reading it even out loud if you can, and praying. And the flesh, you're getting out of there in one way, shape, or form or another. And then the last one is fence lines. And let's just remind, uh, fence lines. We're going to throw up an image here. This is a bad fence line, right? So bad fence line. Why is that a bad fence line? Well, because it's right on the edge of sin. And if you push in on it or jump over it, you're already sinning. That's not a fence line. That's a rule, right? Like thou shalt not. And as soon as you push through it, you are, so you're wrong, right? Don't put your fence line on the thou shalt, thou shalt not thing. Put it back off of it. The fence line is meant to give you some gap so that as you push through it, it gives you a red flag. Why did I just push through that? I should not want that. I shouldn't be on that. Instead, there needs to be a healthy gap, a good distance. Let's go ahead to this next slide. And uh, this is what a good fence line looks like. It's back away from sin so that even if you push through it or over it, you end up getting this little indicator to yourself. All right, something's going wrong. Why did I just push through that fence line? I I shouldn't have wanted to do that. And, And, you know, we used an example last time. I'll use a different one this time. And, you know, in general, we have a rule that uh, John and I do that we don't text uh, members of the opposite sex without including others in on that text. There's just not a texting that goes on where it's just me texting girls or her just texting guys. We tend to uh, bring others into that to make sure that it makes sense as we go along. And uh, why? Because it's a fence line that puts us well away from any other problem, right? It, It doesn't say in any passage of Scripture, thou shalt not text a member of the opposite sex, right? It doesn't say that. We're not on the thou shalt, thou shalt not. We're on the don't want to put ourselves in a spot downstream where all of a sudden we've begun to lean on somebody else other than each other. And my wife says, amen. Right? And that's that's where we're at. Just really being wise to it, being smart to whatever your fence lines are and making those make sense in order to put up healthy boundaries of protection. Fence lines are meant, ready, to keep out the thorns that so easily choke. 
right? Absolutely longing to have a healthy fence line back away from sin. Lord God, I'm ready for you to be honored. I'm telling you, if we have good fence lines, there's going to be a lot less temptation in our lives. There is. The world just brings a ton of crud at us. And being able to block some of that off really brings a lot of the temptation out. Okay, ready? And all of God's people said, right, that's a big deal. Well, I don't know, Tim. I'm not really going to go after any of these. I'm not really excited about this. And uh, what do you have to say to that? All right, it's probably going to look a little like this. All right. And uh, so look, we've talked through the sea of selfishness and a boat, which is our mind and spirit. And I'm telling you, the moment we allow the devil or the world to start pushing down, the moment that the flesh rises up with waves and we don't get out of there, we start taking on water, it starts taking our boat under. And once we've got our boat, our mind and spirit taking on self, this is when we start making really selfish decisions. And uh, I'm, I just love the, the guy literally named his boat, No Worries. And it went down. Like, be super careful how you approach life, man. Make sure you're going after life saying, God, I do want you to be glorified. Lord, I do want to see victory in areas of my life that I've been giving it up. Lord, I'm ready for you to rock my world. Lord, I no longer longer want my boat swamped in the sea of selfishness. I'm ready for you to get the glory. All right? Okay. That said, let's make sure we understand just a little bit more about distinguishing these three. I've talked to a couple of different people, and and, um, as you start talking through, like, how do I battle Satan, and how do I battle the flesh, and what's the difference? Like, when Satan is pushing in, how do I know it's Satan and how do I know it's not my flesh? And should I start running or should I start standing my ground? And which is it? And how do I know the difference? And so let's just make sure we talk through these a little bit, all right? Uh, first of all, Satan is going to be driving your thoughts. Know that. He uses the lie. He uses the deception. He uses the accusation. These are communications into your soul. He is going to be driving your thought life, okay? So know this, one of the biggest issues you're going to have with Satan is his whisper into don't think that way. When he talks with Eve, his first statement, did God really say? When he's talking with Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, like, I don't know if you hear that, that is massive accusation, that is a challenge of truth, and I'm beginning to cause you to move off of that thought process, right? Satan, he Loves to use the thought and attack the thought, causing you to question where you believe God. Know that. It's going to be subtle. Where do you actually find God valuable or where aren't you finding him valuable? That's Satan. The flesh, well, while Satan drives the thoughts, the flesh just drives the wants. Man, the sea of selfishness doesn't have a lot of rationale to it. Okay? We all get that? Like when the sea of me rises up, it's not, hey, I've been thinking about this, and this is a really logical, brilliant position about us. 
here's what I think about me. Like, that's not it. It's more like, take it. Get it. Let's go after that now. It's this giant wanting that rises up. And when the want is coming up and there's not even a logic, you're like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, be careful. You're probably, if you're starting to feel a want rising up, dude, you better get after that and fix that fast. All right? And so, let me just say it this way. Let's put the battle plan in place knowing that distinction. All right? If Satan's getting to your thoughts and your flesh is actually driving hard on your wants, here we go. Here's your battle plan. Let's put it all together. Number one, get your worship on. I'm just telling you, you are not going to be able to battle if you do not worship. Please hear me on that. If you have this horrible time in the Word, no confession of sin, absolutely not dealing with it, and you're like, all right, let's get rid of sin. Like, I'm just telling you, that's a terrible plan. All right? It comes from a point of worship. So start with getting your worship on. Number two then, fence line up. You're out of the moment. Figure out your fence lines. Get that done. That's a part of your worship. God, I'm doing this for you. Set up your worship. Get your fence line set. You are really ready to rock. Like you are leaning in with your God. You've got sin confessed. You've got a plan for what to stay away from. Not going over there. There's some serious thorns in that area. Not going to take on this. Like, okay, my worship's on and I'm staying clean. And now the question is, are you being pressed on by Satan in the moment or your flesh? And uh, I think the best way to answer this is to say, yes. Assume it's both and manage it. There will be thoughts that have to be processed. I will not move off this truth. I will fight this truth and I will stand with my God. And this is getting really bad, like I really want it. So I will fight this truth while I'm getting out of here. Did you know you can fight and flee at the same time? Think about it. You can change your geography while you establish that your God is ultimately satisfying and you will not break down on this and here is where my God is and I worship you, God, and I'm not over there right now, right? We can do both at the same time, man. Make sure that you grasp you are either fighting or you are fighting and fleeing. That's it. If you're ever doing that, I'm just fleeing. Well, in that moment, you are really vulnerable to the whisper of Satan. Hey, man, watch out. God's not really that good in there. Do you see how he's leaving you alone? Do you see what God should be fixing? Why would God do that? If God really loved you, wouldn't he? All that. You're going to need to take hard stand while you book it. Right? We all get that? If I'm getting out, I'm getting out while I'm fighting. Right? And so I've got the sword of the spirit. I'm taking stand in position. I'm worshiping my God and celebrating him. And I'm leaving whatever it is that's dragging me down. The battle plan, while there are three pieces to it, really is a two-part plan. Fence line out of the moment, and in the moment, man, you fight or fight and flee. That's where you're at. I would not worry about trying to distinguish whether that was flesh or devil. I probably wouldn't spend much time on it. That's just fight the position, and if it's getting too high, get out. Lord, I'm standing here and I'm worshiping you and this is the truth I'm on. All right, I still want it and it's really getting the better of me and I'm gone. That's the plan.
okay? Now, out of the moment, you can process through, I wonder if that was flesh, I wonder if that was spirit. That's a great time to get a little more cerebral when your flesh isn't rising up. I'm just telling you, the thought of the waves are getting ever higher to the edge of the boat, right? And we're standing on the boat, and the waves are just coming up closer and closer and closer. Maybe the boat's even being pushed down. It's about ready to come over. That's really not the time for the captain to start saying words like, hey, you know, I was thinking. You're like, whatever, dude. Move it, right? What are we doing here? Get the boat managed, man. What's the plan? Like, this is it. Get this thing in high gear. We got to get out of here, right? And uh, later on is the time for musing and processing. So your plan is, I will not leave the truth of God's word. And if I need a book because this is rising up, then I'm gone. I flee. Clear enough? I'm telling you, this is an art and a science. And it is so worth the adventure. As you begin to realize, huh, look at that. The majority of the time I'm falling, it's because I keep letting the world press in. My fence lines are horrible. I'm changing some of that. And great, start fixing that. Or or maybe you're like, you know what? My fence lines are great. I got good wide distance. My issue? And anytime I want it, I just go get it. Whatever it is just starts getting to me. And so, uh, you know, last week we had the Super Bowl party at our house uh, for our Amplify group. And uh, that was a good game, huh? So uh, we had the Super Bowl party at our house, and, uh, you know, we had everybody bring in food and snacks and all that kind of stuff, and, uh, which was great. I mean, just phenomenal meal and great uh, desserts after it, and, and uh, I personally have a thing where, like, whenever we have a Super Bowl party, you have to have M&Ms on every table all over the place, and uh, just so people can everywhere enjoy M&Ms. So we set out plain M&M's and peanut M&M's and all that all over the place and had them set. Now, we had so many desserts that, you know, and Jana, I I appreciate it. I said, hey, can you buy some M&M's? So she did. She bought the five-pound bags. So we had 10 pounds of M&M's and a ton of desserts. So after it, we had like four and a half pounds of M&M's per bag left over. You know what I mean? And as we put it all back in the bags, uh, it just kind of sat there. And that night, I was like... um, M&M's are good. It's got to be one of your food groups, right? So I reached in and had some M&M's and had some more M&M's. And I'm like, it's Super Bowl weekend. I'm used to having snacks all Super Bowl weekend. I can have some more. So I had some more. And uh, then Monday was the next day. Monday's my day off. So I had some more M&M's. And I'm like, it's not bad. It's M&M's, whatever. It's like, okay. And, and then uh, I noticed Jana was putting the M&M's in the car. And I'm like, where are you going with the M&M's? <laughs> She's like, well, I'm going to take them to work. And I got mad. <laughs> didn't I? We didn't talk about this. This is the first time I'm confessing it's to all of you. And I was like, put the M&M's down, man. <laughs> got to leave them there. I'll take them to work or something. It's fine. You don't have to put them there. And I was meaning, I mean, meaning well, too. They're going to melt in the car. You got them sitting in this, and then they're going to be freezing, and then they're going to... Put the M&M's down, right? So, trying to put them down. Uh, her fence line was not my fence line in that moment. And now I'm like, now I can't have any. <laughs> I have to prove that it wasn't that. It was the worst Monday I've had in a while. <laughs> As I had to stay off of those M&M's 
And then I'm like, baby, you're taking the M&Ms to work. Get those out of here. And she brought them into work. Honestly, I don't even know what happened to them. I went into the kitchen just to see if they were in there and they were gone. <laughs> I don't even know what happened to them. Like, I'm just saying to you, the smallest of things can become the biggest of things when you're not willing to actually manage. And I don't care if they're this big or if they are massive and life-altering. Man, are you losing a grip on it? Do you need a better fence line? Like, I'm just telling you, I had a fence line. Don't go in the kitchen. The M&Ms are over there. I had handfuls of M&Ms, baby. <laughs> I was blowing through those fence lines right then and there. Like, I had a bigger problem than just a fence line. And it was more of the, I had given green light to all things snack over the weekend. I was continuing to snack. Needed to be shut down with a bigger fence line. So those things went to work, right? And they went to a different geography. And uh, that's when I got a little victory over it. And I'm just telling you, you have to be wise to whatever it is, is your little moment of thing. I'm making a joke out of M&Ms and making it small, but we're dealing with heavy things. The reality is, what's your thing? Where you moved it over to the desk and you left it there. When you got a little upset because somebody was going to take it out of your life. What's your thing? Where you want that in your life and you know you probably shouldn't have it, but too bad. I'm going to fight for it. What needs to go? And whatever that sin is, may God get all the glory as we literally fence line up, worship big, and then we battle Satan with all we've got, getting on our knees, confessing sin, getting in the word and going after it. And we flee when our wants rise up. Ready? And all of God's people said, that is battling the world, the flesh and the devil, right? We got one more week. We're going to put our arms around just in monster worship on it with our God in the midst of this and what that looks like next week. But this is the battle plan. Let's pray. 